When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Hello, good morning. This is Ken Murray and welcome to the Michael Reed Show. I'll be with you today and tomorrow and Michael will be back in the hot seat on Wednesday. Coming up, we'll be discussing Sinn Féin calls for a border poll with Imelda Munster and we'll also be discussing the rejection of funding for the Northern Cross Route in Drogheda. One in eight Irish families will be in debt this Christmas. We'll be hearing how bad things are. 4,000 children will be homeless this Christmas. We'll be speaking to Focus Ireland. Alone have launched their Christmas appeal and are asking people to give generously. We'll also be hearing the concerns of residents in the Lisnadara estate in Dundalk over a proposed road through their area. And Fianna Fáil councillor in County Mead, Michael Bray, will be on talking about the lack of fines being imposed as a result of pet fouling on our streets. And ATM thieves strike again, this time in Dunlear. Fianna Fáil TD, Declan Brannock, he'll be uh, talking to us about what he thinks needs to be done to stop this ongoing scourge. Our text and WhatsApp number is uh, 086-1800-658 or you can call us on 1850-715-958. Well, as you probably heard in the news over the weekend, Sinn Féin held its Ordesh in Derry at the weekend and has called on the British government to give the go-ahead for a border poll within the next five years. As you probably are aware, the outcome of a border poll could determine a united Ireland. The party called for an all-Ireland forum to debate and plan for the day when British rule will end on the island of Ireland. And among the many delegates present at the Ordesh in Derry was Sinn Féin TD for Loud and East Mead, Imelda Munster. Uh, good morning, Imelda. Firstly, I just want to ask you, I mean, what makes you so confident that if there was a border poll within five years, that all Catholics and nationalists in the North would vote for a united Ireland? Well, firstly, Ken, Mary Lou, in her presidential address, was talking about the fact that we're facing into a decade of opportunity and the fact that Brexit puts questions around Irish unity more than ever before, you know, But what she called for was for the government, the British government and the Irish government, to convene an All-Ireland Forum, you know, to prepare for a referendum in five years, to to map the transition, if you like, um, and let the people have their say on Irish unity. 
Do you not think, though, that a call at this stage is a little bit premature? Because I was looking at the figures recently, and it looks as if, well, it, the signs are that the uh, when the next census in the north takes place, Catholics will either just surpass the Protestant numbers, and that you could be looking at a voting majority maybe 10 to 15 years down the line. Do you not think that any call for a border poll is a little bit premature? No, as, a, as an Irish Republican myself, I've always I've worked daily. It's, it's always been the core of my beliefs, um, the reunification of my country. And as Mary Lou had said, Brexit now, you know, it's the, the opportunity now with Brexit to erase the uncertainty and all of that. But, um, it's there's, you know, you put it to the people and you let the people have their say. But the benefits of an all-Ireland economy, apart from anything else, you know, over over five, ten years would be hugely beneficial to all the people of Ireland. You'd have shared services, a shared health service, education service, all of that. And, you know, I think part of the reason that um, she called so publicly on both governments to convene the All-Ireland Forum is because they've been saying for almost 100 years, oh, we support Irish unity, but now is not the right time. Well, now is the time. Well, now, the British government, I think... I think it transfers something like £11 billion from London to the north and only gets back about £6 billion in taxes. So there's a deficit there of around 5 to £6 billion, maybe 7 to €8 billion. Euro. Where is the money going to come to run all the various public services in the north if a united Ireland was to happen? There's been huge... Um, uh, or huge kind of um, surveys and... Um, people people um, carrying out the costs of a united Ireland and they have said that within the five years there'd be upwards of 64 billion euro to the benefit of the people of Ireland. So when people talk about the cost of reunification, there's different people saying different things. But, you know, people that have looked into it in great detail have said that the benefits, and it stands to reason that the benefits of an all-Ireland economy would be shared services, all of that sort of thing, apart from anything else. You know, if you look at other countries, you had Germany, the reunification of Germany. They've never looked back. They've never looked back. But also this securing of the referendum, it's actually written into the Good Friday Agreement. The provision is there for it. It's part of the Good Friday Agreement. It's just the British government and indeed the Irish government um, are not interested. You know, they'll say, oh yes, we support Irish unity, but, you know, now is not the time as their usual. Well, now is the time. Well, at a time when, if you like, uh, there's no engagement with the DUP in terms of getting the Assembly back up and running uh, at Stormont, I mean, what... <laughs> What's the incentive? What's the attraction for loyalists to sign up to a united Ireland, bearing in mind that they are insistent, uh, regardless of what's in the agreement, regardless of what democracy says, they are insistent that as long as they live in Northern Ireland, it'll be London rule. What's the attraction for them to sign up to a united Ireland? Well, you see, the difference, um, Sinn Féin's view, is that all people would be treated equally and all identities would be recognised in a united Ireland, there wouldn't be, you know, us and them. We could never do to them what what they did to us. You have to be respectful. It would be an all-inclusive Ireland. Everybody would be equal. There'd be none of none of that. And just in relation to, to Stormont, I mean, Sinn Féin have said repeatedly that our negotiators stand ready to enter into talks with unionists. Sinn Féin was never the problem with Stormont. 
it was the, the unionists and the RHI scandal and the reluctance to recognise equality. That's what brought down Stormont. That's why when Martin McGuinness just couldn't take any more of their obstruction and their unwillingness to power share, to share power rather, that's why Stormont collapsed. But I mean, the, the Sinn Féin are ready to stand. Well, can I put it to you? You know, but it would have to be, it would have to be a, a Stormont, an assembly that is, is an accountable assembly that is based on equality and clean power sharing. Uh, well, can I put it to you that as long as the Tories are in power in London and their official title is the Conservative and Unionist Party, that as long as unionism has an attachment to the Conservatives, uh, there will be no attempt whatsoever uh, to grant you your way and have a border poll. Would you accept that? Well, I mean, I think that's starting to ebb away. I think the, the DUP had pretty much the control of... Um, Theresa May and Boris Johnson for quite some time, and we could see their their arrogance, and you know that they, they displayed in that that, that both um, British prime ministers were dependent on DUP support. But I think it's 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 so fluid now at the minute and so uncertain that even the DUP realise now that they could have been take may have been taken for for fools or or, or used, you know, by by the two prime ministers in Britain, but. Um, you know, so that that could all be set to change. Well, now, at the weekend, Mary Lou MacDonald told delegates that Sinn Féin should prepare itself for entering into government. Mm-hmm. There's a, a general election expected around May of next year, uh, based on current, if you like, talk around the place. What makes you so sure that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil would want to do business with you if the numbers fell in a particular way? Well, firstly... Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, both Tweedledum and Tweedledee, as I often refer to them, seem to think that they can tell the people of Ireland who to vote for and who not to vote for. That's the first thing. They've no right. It's the people that will decide who they put into government. That's first and foremost. Um, and they, they've absolutely no right to, to, to you know, come out and, and say things like that. We... What we have said at the weekend, and we have we've outlined, you know, our, as Mary Lou had said about the the vision, you know, and a decade of opportunity. We're looking for a fair day's pay, for a fair day's work. In other words, giving workers a family and break, a home, securing a roof over people's head, healthcare as a right, um, childcare and education, building a green, clean Ireland and a united Ireland. And they're they're the stance on which we'll put forward as our proposals. But those standards by which we will judge any government prospects. You know, and if we can't move towards those objectives, then we'll not go into government. It's as simple as that. Well, now, just one more question before I move on to the issue regarding the Northern Cross route in Drogheda. Uh, the local elections, the European elections, the presidential election were, to put it mildly, a bit of a disaster for Sinn Féin. Would you accept that the party has peaked? Uh, Mary Lou MacDonald doesn't have, if you like, uh, the X factor that Jerry Adams had and that Sinn Féin actually has a fight on its hands uh, in the elections that are coming down the line in the next six months? Well, certainly the the local elections were a big disappointment. And I would always say, you know, and to be honest, uh, we didn't see it coming. There are a whole range of reasons why. But to me, the most important thing is to listen to people, you know, and listen to people, what they have to say and take take all of that on board. And some some of what 
we, the, the hard work we were doing, and I mean with all Sinn Féin TDs with no exception, work extremely hard, but it looked like we were just weren't getting our message across. You know, and you have a situation the minute where, you know, you have workers and families and people are not seeing their disposable income grow and they're not seeing their burdens lessen. And that's because of the high rents, uh, rip-off insurance, childcare, education. And when you think about it, people are paying taxes, they're paying their PRSI, their PAYE, their universal social charge, their local property tax, their carbon tax, all these taxes and getting nothing for it. And that's why, you know, there's a broken system that we need to fix. And that's what Sinn Féin are about. It's about helping workers and families. And that's something that this government has neglected. And, and in the meantime, AIM2 is, uh, if you like, snapping at your core support. But look, I'm going to move no, on. I, I don't think that's correct. I mean, what are, if they registered maybe at 1%, you know... Um, well, it cost you a seat in Derry, didn't it? A, counts, a local authority seat. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, still a seat. Yeah, it's it's the, still a seat. Yeah, but I mean, they're into our one percent. But Sinn Féin will put our proposals before the people. I mean, we're the only opposition in Leinster House in relation to you. you look at like what you have in Leinster House. I, I've never seen anything like it before. You have a so-called opposition party in Fianna Fáil propping up the government, but they're actually when you sit, they will stand up. Tuesdays and Wednesdays and give out to the government about government policies. Then come the vote on the Thursday, the vote with the government. It would only happen in Ireland. Well, that's the way the numbers fell after the last election. Yeah, but that's the farce that there is. And that's why people, when they look at Sinn Féin, they look at Sinn Féin as the real opposition to the government. Because at the minute, you might say, um, what we actually have is a Fine Gael Fianna Fáil government. That's the reality. Well, that's the way and the numbers fell. But, uh, yeah, but if things are uh, to change, we have to change that. And we have to put right all the wrongs where workers and families well, are well, of no course. benefit. The government is saying the economy is booming. If, well, but your workers or families don't see sure. the benefit of that. Well, of course, that'll all be determined uh, from the outcome of the next general election. But I want to move on to a local matter. Um, you described the recent decision by the government to reject the provision of funding for the construction of the Northern Cross Route in Drogheda as a disgrace. Isn't the reality that Louth County Council hasn't done its homework and that Louth TDs of all parties failed miserably to lobby the government to make this happen? No, absolutely not. I I raised it last Wednesday and it was actually the 12th time I'd raised it in my three and a half years up there. And when I first raised it with Minister Ross, and I was going gung-ho at them to, to get the funding. And he turned around and he said uh, that he, he hadn't received um, an application. So I got on to Loud County Council straight away. That they had submitted an application last year under the Urban Regeneration and Development Fund for funding. And the government rejected that um, application. And Loud County Council put in an appeal. Now, the appeal, on the day that I raised it, I raised it with the Taoiseach last Wednesday and Minister Murphy. Um, I asked what the status of the appeal was and I said that this is a vital piece of infrastructure. When you go back, I remember at the time of the Northern Environs Plan in 2006 on Loud County Council and the, the concern was that the, the, the Northern Environs Plan in itself was a plan to build, I think it was 7,200 houses on the northern end of Drogheda. And I remember kicking up think over it because there was uh, there was no provision at that time for schools 
and then you had the 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 northern cross route. But in that plan, there was there was um, conditions placed that phase one of the first phase of housing, phase one of the northern cross route would be completed, and then phase two, so it would be sustainable planning. So the infrastructure would go in along with all of that. Then the the crash came and it all collapsed and fell asunder. But now we're back into the applications are going back in for for building houses on the lands and it is imperative that we get the Northern Cross route built to take, not just to take the 3,000 HGV trucks and lorries coming into the town on a daily basis, but to ease congestion sure, and but to make it more sustainable for, for people sure, that will buy those homes. OK, but I have to put it to you, um, your, your constituency... Uh, colleague, although not a party colleague, Fergus O'Dowd said that uh, Loud County Council would have previously scored poorly under the current criteria. You're saying it's a disgrace, you're sort of blaming the government. Isn't the reality that Loud County Council didn't get its act together on this? Oh, I, I'm not exempting Loud County Council. I was furious when I raised it with Minister Ross and um, the fact that he could come back to me and say, well, I haven't received an application. That's that's why I said I got on to Loud County Council straight away. I was absolutely furious with them because, as I said, this has gone on 13 years now. And they did make the application onto the Urban Regeneration Fund. And then the government refused the application. And this comes back to what I was talking about earlier. People paying taxes and get nothing in return. And Drahadis gets nothing from the government. And this was a cruci- crucial piece of infrastructure I asked um, But doesn't that all boil down doesn't that boil down to poor representation by the TDs who are poor at lobbying on behalf of the town No, it it actually comes down to um, this government and the previous government um, refused, you know, when you're in government you have the power you have the power to make decisions Now we have government TDs in this constituency we had government TDs and we had in fact um, junior minister uh, in the last government, none of them delivered the Northern Cross route when they were in government with the power, with the purse strings, um, and then they, you know, they come out with what I would deem as f- fake outrage. For example, I just want to give you an example. Well, very quickly, Amelia, because yeah, we're, know up, the, we're the, up against the clock the, here. You know when you raise something in the, the doll, and you would know this, having been a political correspondent in Leinster House, Ken, when you raise an issue on the doll, it automatically goes on the doll record. Well, when I heard that the funding had been refused again last Wednesday, I checked the doll record, right, in relation to um, constituency TDs raising the Northern Cross route. I myself had raised it 12 times in three, just over three years. Uh, Deputy O'Dowd had raised it just first four times, and the first time he raised it was about eight months after I'd raised it. But Senator Nash, who'd been a junior minister and was constantly telling us he was at the, the, sitting at the cabinet table and all he was doing for never raised it once. And well, then you listen to this fake outrage. I thought that was absolutely shocking. Fake not outrage. That, that's a, that's raise, a new line on me. Um, but once th- did he raise the Northern Cross route on the record of the doll. So when you talk about representation from local TDs, this is what you're dealing with. And both of those were in government at the cabinet table or with the power to, to push for this. 
Well, now you're you're engaging in a bit of, if you like, colleague bashing there. No, no, t- you brought it up. You yeah, said no. It up. no, you raised the question. You said about constituency yeah. CDs. I didn't mention that at all, but I'm just telling you, it's fact. The bottom line oh, is, though, that right. no matter who raised it, uh, Drogheda is still without its northern cross route. Yes. Now, Fergus no. says he has no doubt that the port access route project will progress under the second round of funding in the, the coming sure. months. And what yeah. I'm going to ask and you is, because we we're up against the clock, Sorry. we're up against well, the clock, but I have to say to you, Melda, what needs to be done now? to, if you like, meet the criteria and make this project happen? The management, the CEO and the road section and Loud County Council need to sit down with the Minister and say, what exactly do we need to ensure that this funding gets to go ahead the next time? That we need a commitment from the Minister to say that the next application, because we've waited too long, we've waited long enough for this, the next application that goes before him, that that will give the go-ahead to start this Northern Cross route because we can't have thousands upon thousands of additional houses in the area without the proper infrastructure because Drogheda faces daily gridlock or traffic gridlock on a daily basis. Okay. And that, that piece of infrastructure is vital to the sustainability of this town. Okay, Imelda Munster, we're going to have to leave it there because the clock is against us. That's uh, Louth TD, or TD for Louth and East Meath, Imelda Munster, and that's a story we'll be watching very closely. Ken Murray on LMFM. Well, it's something like, what, five, six weeks uh, up to uh, Christmas week and uh, new research indicates that one in eight Irish parents will be in debt this Christmas. This uh, follows a, a survey undertaken by rollercoaster.ie and uh, to discuss it further about how severe this problem is going to be, I'm joined on the line by Miriam Burke, who is the content and community editor of uh, rollercoaster.ie. Good morning, Miriam. Good morning, Ken. How are you? I'm okay. Now, this uh, survey you've undertaken, you say one in eight Irish parents will be in debt. I mean, on the basis that we all take out mortgages and we all take out Mm. loans for a car and we all take out loans to build a new kitchen and we take out loans to uh, go on holidays, we're all in debt at one stage or other of our lives. So Mm -hmm. what's the criteria for the definition here in this case of one in eight parents being in debt? Well, the criteria for in this case is just that, really, because um, so one in eight respondents of our survey said that they typically pay their way through Christmas through loans and credit cards. So that's kind of what we mean uh, when we say that they find themselves in debt. Well, that sounds pretty normal, is it not? It's normal enough, yeah. But but then, like one in eight isn't isn't a huge amount, but which means that like a lot of other Irish parents, you know, they save, and um, so. 22% in, in um, respondents said that they actually start saving in January, so just after Christmas. So not all parents are actually pay, uh, taking out these loans. Okay. So one in eight are. Okay, you've undertaken this survey. Uh, talk us hmm. through the findings. So yes, we asked our readers out of um, 400,000 Irish parents in our database just about their spending habits during the holiday or the Christmas season. So, yeah, the one, one in eight, the parents who say that they find themselves in debt is kind of the most dramatic uh, st- stat, uh, piece, piece of information from the survey. But, you know, we found some really interesting um, facts as well. Like, I thought this one was really uh, is going to like interest a lot of, of parents and um, that 22% said that they'll buy up to 50 presents um, this year. Um, and 
a lot of parents said that they are going to spend over a thousand euro on parents alone. That was forty, an average of forty percent said that. And do you have any figures as to what the, if you like, the the cash levels of debt are? I mean, are people getting themselves into debt over Christmas, we'd say up to €20,000, or are the sums smaller or bigger, or do you have any figure at all? No, we didn't ask. Um, we didn't ask that question. We didn't ask about the cash. We just we it, that was um, just about the kind of the worry and spending part of things. Um, because a quarter said that they that Christmas spending worries them, but we don't have figures in actual on on numbers. That'll be very interesting to know, though. So that's for the next survey that we do. <laughs> and uh, in terms of uh, the debt, do we have any figures as to how soon these debts are paid off on the basis that they're just credit card debts in the main? No, so yeah, it's the figure that or the data that we have is that one in eight are going to be um, left in debt, but we don't have any more information above that. Like the the survey was really about sort of the wider range of spending. That was just one one part of it. And what about uh, if you like the profile of the average person in debt? I mean, is it a middle class person? Is it a working class person? Is it an unemployed person? No, we we didn't ask that question either. We just um, we just had that you know one nugget that the that these people are going to be in debt, but we don't have any um, anything further than that. The, the survey was really about, as I said, um, kind of a, a wide net. So the spending it was more about spending than debt. But this that that piece of information we thought people would be really interested to know. And are there any indications from your survey that, for example, uh, people are getting themselves into debt and can't get out of debt? No, um, no, we, we, we don't have that figure. OK. And any other trends emerge from the, uh, the survey? Well, we had, um, well, for example, in, in the savings part of things, I said earlier, 22% of people who took the survey said that they'd start saving for Christmas in January. Um, but 25% said that they actually never save at all. So the money that they're spending on Christmas um, presents and supplies is, is basically what they have in their bank accounts that month or the, or the month they start spending. And just finally, one very quick question. A lot of people spend on credit cards when uh, the interest rates, for example, with uh, credit unions, for example, are more attractive and less punishing. Um, Any advice to people who are going to, if you like, engage in a spending splurge over the next uh, four to six weeks? Uh, Well, my my advice and and the advice kind of a suppose, practical advice would be is just really do your research and speak to a professional and uh, it has to be somebody who knows what they're talking about so they can guide you on the best ways to pay any loans that you take back in a in a responsible way. Okay, we're going to leave it there. That's uh, Miriam Burke of rollercoaster.ie there talking about new figures which show that one in eight parents will be in debt this Christmas. Ken Murray on LMFM. If you want to get in touch, our text and WhatsApp number is 086-1800-658 or you can call us on 1850-715-958. Some of you have been texting in and we'll be hearing your comments just after the 10 o'clock news uh, from our producer, Marie Kieran's. Now, you probably don't need me to remind you that somewhere in the region of 10,000 people are now homeless. But what's particularly worrying is that nearly 4,000 of those are children. This is a, a horrible time for parents who find themselves with no home to go to. And a recent 
uh, reports suggest that it's going to be a very miserable Christmas for a lot of people. And to find out more, I'm joined on the line by Rowan McNamara, who is the ad- Advocacy Manager with uh, Focus Ireland, which deals primarily w- with homeless. Good morning, Rowan. Good morning, Ken. Uh, talk us through these reports and how grim they sound. Yeah, well, basically what we were doing uh, there yesterday was Sister Stan was launching an urgent Christmas appeal that we do uh, each year uh, because we need to get donations in to keep our our services going. And it's focusing in on how systemic uh, the problem of homelessness, in particular child homelessness, has become in society, unfortunately, today. Uh, As you said, there's nearly 4,000 children homeless and in Dublin, Folks Ireland is working with about 580 families who are homeless at the minute with 1,200 children in them. And we did some uh, research on the numbers and we found that 12% of those children were actually born into homelessness. And we just thought that was a particularly shocking uh, reality to show. We hadn't seen that before. And this was, you know... Uh, often the mothers were in households in families who were uh, in a home when she was pregnant and then the landlord was selling up or they couldn't afford the rent and they lost it. So it, it's really shown how how bad the crisis is getting, you know. Well, now you're reacting actually to two reports. One is by the Joint Oireachtas Committee on Children and Youth Affairs and the other being the Housing, Planning and Local Government Committee. Doesn't it say something awful that you have two Oireachtas committees uh, identifying the problem, but yet another wing, if you like, of the the democratic process is doing very little to address this? Yeah, well, the two Oireachtas reports you you were mentioning there launched last Thursday, we had kind of uh, fed in uh, recommendations quite a bit to them, uh, as had uh, the Children's Ombudsman's Office. And... uh, it, it 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 is worrying that you know so little has been done. I mean, if we look at some of the key recommendations from the reports, such as uh, focus our uh, sorry, such as uh, calling for a specific family uh, strategy to be put in place to tackle uh, family homelessness, and also to put in a deadline for how long someone, a family or individual, can uh, remain as homeless. We very much welcome that they were two key recommendations of the committee. But if we're looking at a go- the reaction at a government level, Focus Ireland has been calling for those two recommendations to be put in place on our own bat for the last few years. So there is some good work being done, uh, obviously, in terms of you know housing and support. Uh, for example, we helped uh, bring... 1,200 families out of homelessness with the state and our supporters the last two years. But we all see the numbers are only going one way up. So while there is good work being done, the crisis is getting deeper and we really need far more urgent action, if not by this government, by the next one, because we all know there will be uh, an election uh, in the next coming months. Well, now, one of the recommendations is that more child support workers would be made available in all emergency accommodation to each family and child within one week of entering uh, emergency accommodation. I mean, is that achievable? Yeah, I, I, I see no reason why it isn't. And what, what we really need to look at as well is, is, is uh, <clears throat> the cost of not doing that. Uh, because, as I mentioned at the start, we were launching our uh, Christmas campaign yesterday with Sister Stan, and one of the things we were highlighting in that is, is the great work being done by uh, child support workers to help uh, babies and children overcome uh, the trauma of homelessness. Because 
we're not just talking about it not being a nice thing, being homeless. We can see through research and through our own frontline experience, there's, there's horrifying things such as young babies not learning to crawl at the right age because they're stuck in a hotel room that's too small for them to get past the development milestones. So to go back to about the child support workers, I think it is achievable. It needs to be done as a matter of urgency. But if we, you look at the great work being done by the likes of Folks Ireland, child support workers, but we still only have 9% of the children who need access to one have them at the moment due to funding. Another recommendation is a constitutional right to housing. And that's from an Oireachtas committee. Surely that's never going to happen because that means the state is obliged to make sure that every single, if you like, uh, adult or indeed every single parent has a right to a house. There's already a shortage of skilled people like electricians, block layers, mm. brick layers. Mm. There was a massive exodus of skilled and talented people when the recession kicked in 10 years ago. Uh, surely that's never going to happen. Or would you would you be confident it might? Well, again, we've been calling for that for many years uh, and Folks Ireland was key in terms of getting the, we'll all remember, the uh, Constitutional Convention who examined issues to put forward to the government to consider for putting forward to a referendum. That was one of them, the right to housing. So it's not just, you know, charities and that calling for it. The Constitutional Convention who the government, uh, the previous government actually set up, recommended that back to the state and the government as a key issue that needs to be uh, put forward to the people. So I think it is something that it's such a big thing. It needs to be decided by the people in a referendum. But I think while I, I know where you're coming from that, it, you know, you can't bring in uh, something like that and it's, it's, things aren't going to change overnight. But I think it's like the deadline to homelessness. If you underpin policy by key, uh, you know, laws and regulations and uh, right, rights as well, it, that helps uh, to develop the policy then because the government sees, OK, well, there's this right housing here. We really need to do more on the issue of housing because, you know, while there has been some good work being done, we, we can all see there hasn't been enough done in social housing and affordable rental. And I'd stress to your listeners as well that this isn't just about tackling homelessness. It's about tackling people who are in housing inequality because sure, I'm but, sure many, but, many of your listeners are really struggling to pay sure, the rent. Sure, but can I, like one of the things you've repeatedly called for is, uh, if you like, a cast iron deadline that yeah. no, no family or individual be allowed to remain homeless for longer than six months. I mean, if yeah. somebody is homeless for six months and the housing stock isn't there, what do you do with them then? Well, I mean, it's it, 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 again, I, I, as I say, is, you know, when you put in a deadline, it doesn't mean that it's going to be met straight away within that six month time frame. But what, what I'm saying is, is if you aim for, for that, things change because we have seen government policy not directing to, towards delivering social housing enough. It's not just this government. The previous governments as well have replaced building social housing by depending on the private rented market. Okay, Rowan, just just before I wrap it up, because I'm just looking at the clock and we're working our way up to the 10 o'clock news, we generally think of homelessness in Dublin, but how how widespread is it across the country, particularly in rural areas? Well, it's getting worse, unfortunately. I mean, everyone, as you say, thinks of family homelessness, particularly as a Dublin problem, but the latest figures show 500 families and 1,000 children homeless around the country. So we don't want to see this continuing to get worse and continuing to develop around the country. And as I say, it's not just about homelessness, it's about providing quality 
affordable housing for all people on low incomes in society. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. Rowan McNamara, who's the Advocacy Manager with uh, Focus Ireland, thanks uh, for getting in touch. Uh, Your texts are coming in, but do keep them coming our way. I see Eric has a comment on the this Nadara estate, which we'll deal with after the news. Uh, But if you want to get in touch, our text and WhatsApp number again is 086-1800-658, or you can call us on 1850-715-958. Ken Murray on LMFM. Listening to the Michael Reed Show. This is Ken Murray with you this morning, and indeed uh, tomorrow morning, Michael will be back in the hot seat on Wednesday morning. Now you've been on the phones, you've been texting away, and to find out what you're saying, what's bothering you on this rather chilly Monday morning, I'm joined in studio by our producer Marie Kearns. What are people in the Loudmead area saying this morning, Marie? Well, good morning, Ken, and good morning to everybody listening. In some response already to the interview at the top of the show with Loud Sinn Féin TD Imelda Munster. Uh, uh, Pat McDade from Drogheda got in touch to say that Sinn Féin and Imelda Munster should wake up and smell the orange juice. They would be better off tackling sectarianism in Northern Ireland first. They could start with the cross-community trust building with the goal to reduce the need for all of the peace walls. A second goal to increase non-segregated schools would be very worthy. The idea that Kent, the Catholics poll, will solve a 700-year-old division is too simplistic by far, says Pat. On the Northern Cross route, Anne phoned in to say the Oireachtas members from Drada need to be working together, Ken, not backstabbing and bickering. The important thing is that we get this route for the town. It's so badly needed and it really is a disgrace that we are still waiting for it, says Anne. James from Drada, Ken, they've been talking about this cross route from Dunleer to uh, the port for close to 20 years now. And I can vouch for that because, as I said, you were yep. on. Can I remember doing a piece for Nationwide back in the day on the route when it's was a long-running story, all right, yes. Um, and James says, "Why has it not happened? The gridlock in the town is really having a very negative impact. It's putting people off shopping in the town. The port traffic should be using this route." And again, James is echoing that it's badly needed. Uh, Just moving from that story then, uh, on the cost of Christmas, uh, we touched on that and Theresa and Navin phoned in to say that why would anybody or does anyone need to buy 50 presents at Christmas time? That one crossed my mind as well. I mean, if you're buying 50 presents, you know, unless you're loaded, I mean, you're straight away heading into debt. Yes. 50 presents, yes. that's a big family. And I mean, even if you have a big family, like I come from a relatively big family in that there's seven siblings and a mum and dad and then there's new, like, I think nearly 20 grandchildren, 19 grandchildren, but we don't buy for everybody because you kind of sit back and go, hang on a sec. So, like a lot of families we do, like uh, Chris Crindle and, you know... That's a lot of selection boxes, Exactly, yes. exactly. So there's ways to cut back and this is what Theresa is saying. She says that she's... Uh, goes to car boot sales and she regularly frequents charity shops and she says after Christmas the amount of unwanted stuff that's given away she says she saw last year she witnessed it herself a lady leaving into a charity shop a bag that was from a very well known brand that would have cost a fair few hundred euro and she says the woman didn't like it so she, it was good for the charity shop the charity shop was benefiting but she says 
it, there's a lot of pressure on people when there is no need for that pressure to be there. Another listener says the amount of waste at Christmas time really is a sin. People go over the top, spend a fortune on presents that people don't even need or want. It's ridiculous to get yourself into debt. Absolutely, particularly if it's a credit card debt as opposed to a credit union debt because uh, I think the credit card debt, the interest rate remains the same until the debt is paid off, whereas with the credit union debt the, in, the, the amount of interest you're paying is going down as the balance goes down. Yes. Now with a listener who rang in didn't want to give her name but I suppose putting a different perspective on it to the two previous callers just to say that sometimes you've no choice but to get into debt at Christmas time especially when you have children. So I suppose that is a point too. On the homeless situation uh, was in Dublin yesterday Ken. Heartbreaking to see so many people living homeless on the streets in the midst of all the glitz and glamour of the Christmas decorations and lights. When you think of all the money that was spent on bringing Trump to Ireland, it really is a sin to think that some money can't be made available to be able to provide these people with accommodation for a couple of nights. The priorities of this government need to be checked. That is a commonly held view by a lot of people. Yes, and there is nothing more disturbing when you are walking around seeing it's people lying in the street. Because you, you almost feel guilty when you, that you have a oh, roof you over your head yourself. You Absolutely. We had Michael O'Neill in touch. We, he was in with us on Friday in advance of the Mass in the Augustinian Church in Drogheda that took place yesterday, Ken, for World Day of Remembrance for road traffic victims. And he just was in contact this morning to thank everyone involved with yesterday's Mass and to thank those who made the effort to come along and support it. He says there was a huge attendance yesterday and he was actually astounded at the show of support for the event and wants to thank everyone for making it so special for everybody who was there. And I did see a lot on social media about uh, that event. It's particularly special to anybody who has lost a loved one in an accident. So hopefully people got some comfort at the Mass yesterday. Yes, I passed by uh, the church there in Shop Street uh, yesterday around lunchtime and uh, quite a, a large gathering. It's a, it's yes. a wonderful event. It's, yes. it's great that uh, people who have lost loved ones in road traffic accidents are, are not forgotten, if you like. So uh, I saw the Mayor, Paul Bell, yesterday outside the church and I know that uh, those who do attend appreciate the sentiment yes, uh, involved in that mass. Yes. Have we to go to the phone lines or have we time for a couple more? Yeah, just one or two more, yeah. Okay. Ken, I don't know if you've ever had your tire, the tire of your car. Have you ever gone into a pothole? Uh, not only have I gone into a pothole, uh, I once went into a pothole and burst a tire. And right. when I went inquiring about it, I was told that I couldn't sue the council, Meath County Council, unless I could prove negligence that somebody had filled in the pothole badly. Okay. If the pothole emerges from natural wear and tear and natural evolution, there's nothing you can do. Well, we covered this on the programme last week uh, with Kira Courtney, who formerly worked with us here in LMFM because she had an experience where her tyre was ruined. And we had uh, loads of response to that. I'll just go to one or two. Rows are a disgrace. Massive potholes on the Dunicarney Road in Bettystown. Just keep filling them in. And once the bad weather comes, they're back to being bad again. Happened to me a half an hour after I taxed the car, says Sharon. Her car tyre was ruined. It's way too much hassle. Uh, when you're paying road tax, why are we paying the road tax, she says. So lots more where they came, came from, Ken. 
OK, Marie, we're going to leave it there because uh, we have a number of other items uh, to get through before we wrap up. Uh, just looking at the text machine. Yes, Ronnie McGrain and Kells got in touch. Good morning to you, Ronnie. It's nice to know you're tuned in. I want to move on to something that is a major cause of concern. Uh, there's a story in the Irish Independent this morning that couples work an extra day a month to pay needless debt. And it says that failure to switch... Uh, lenders saddles families with an additional €3,500 of interest on a mortgage per year. This is a phenomenal sum of money and it's not helped by the fact that recent revelations show that uh, bank interest rates in Ireland are amongst the most expensive in the entire European Union. Well, to discuss this further, I'm joined by Martina Hennessy, who's a mortgage switching expert and managing director with Dot. Good morning, Martina. Good morning, Ken. Okay, how bad is this problem? I, I suppose what we've done with the Doddle.ie mortgage switching index is just highlight the disparity um, between rates in the Irish market. So the highest rate in the Irish market currently is 4.5% and the lowest rate is 2.25%. So um, in total double, obviously, the interest rate, the highest to lowest. Uh, and this, when we take the average Irish um, mortgage drawn down in quarter three 2019, being 243,500, this leads to the 3,500 euro differential rate. And I suppose the, the main key thing that we're trying to point out to people is that there are savings to be made by switching your mortgage. Um, mortgage switching is probably one of the last items that, that people are, are kind of coming around to the norm of switching. Everybody knows how to switch electricity, gas, utilities. But if you have a mortgage, the one change that you can make that has the largest impact on your finance is that of switching your mortgage. So at Doddle.ie, we're a mortgage switching platform that allows you to see if you can save money by switching your mortgage. And then we work with you uh, to, to, to complete the process of switching. So we're an impartial mortgage advisory service um, and we act in the process and, and complete your mortgage switching with you. Why do people not bother, if you like, switching a mortgage? Is it that they just couldn't be bothered? Is there too much bureaucracy, too much paperwork? Is it an inconvenience? Or is it a case of once they get their very first mortgage, they know what they're paying every month and uh, they just couldn't be bothered? Yeah, I think well, the, the positive thing from our side, Ken, is that more and more people are switching and the number of mortgage holders switching has trebled in the last four years, albeit from a very low base. And I think you know, the main reasons are that people don't understand that they firstly can switch or the level of savings that can be made or indeed that it doesn't cost them to switch their mortgage. Um, and, and often the case, Ken, is, is that if you look at it and, and if there's a number of options offered to you and you kind of go, God, I don't know which is best for me, you kind of tend to shy away or to pull back from it. So that's why, again, as an independent switching platform, um, Doddle.ie, we, we offer, I suppose, the advice that people need to give clarity as to which, which route is best to take. Because you go, we all see you know, marketing messages from individual lenders, and it's very difficult to differentiate. Um, so, again, it's just the knowledge piece to understand that you can switch, understand when is best for you to switch. And that generally is at, the, at regular intervals at the end of a fixed-term period, or if during a fixed-term period, to understand if it does make sense for you to fix if you were to break out would there be a penalty to, to break out if you're fixed well, etc doesn't this raise questions about if you like the uh, financial culture in this country we have a small number of banks as a result of the crash uh, 10 years ago there doesn't seem to be enough competition and one could say certain certain banking institutions are ripping us off still and that the central bank seems to be uh, asleep on the job is that the case 
Uh, the central bank have been really strong advocates of mortgage switching. Um, in January, they, they brought in to introduce new measures to make mortgage switching easier and, and to increase the transparency required um, by lenders, requiring lenders to notify customers of cheaper options within 60 days, for example, before they roll out the fixed rate. However, I suppose from our point of view, it's really up to individuals. More Again, your mortgage commitment is probably your largest financial commitment. So it's really important to keep on top of that, to know that, you know, if you can reduce your mortgage interest rate, it is it has just such a, an amazing effect on your monthly household income. And interest is just dead money. If you're paying a higher interest rate, it adds no value to your mortgage. It literally just means that you're paying more to the bank every month. And that's, again, where, where we came from in terms of the article and you know it, it means that for example if you're paying the highest and the lowest on the average rate at the moment and the average mortgage at the moment and you're, you're earning the average salary you're working but, a day a month just to service that exchange. Sure, just, just to wrap it up Martina uh, very quickly what advice would you give uh, to uh, mortgage holders who are pretty stretched particularly this time of year and now that you've informed them that they are effectively paying more than they should? Um, I'll get in contact with doddle.ie. We have a, a, a full range of options on our website, but also contact us, speak to us. We're normal advisors, normal people, and we can give you the best information, best advice as to what, what mortgage is optimal for your position. And um, There's plenty of options out there. Don't just sit there and continue to pay the, the same higher mortgage rates. Be active in terms of your mortgage. Take control of it, and we'd be delighted to assist in any way. Okay, just one quick question. I'm just curious. Where did you get the name doddle.ie? Well, our, our, our tagline is mortgage switching made easy, and that's our aim. So easy to see what you can save, easy to switch, and, and a team of really qualified and, and helpful advisors to make the entire process from start to finish as easy as it can be. Okay, thank you very much indeed. That's Martina Hennessy, uh, who is the mortgage switching expert and managing director of doddle.ie. That's uh, D-O-D-D-L dot I-E if you want to get more information about the possibility of switching your mortgage. You're listening to The Michael Reed Show with myself, Ken Murray. We'll take a break. Ken Murray on LMFM. If you want to get in touch, our text and WhatsApp number is 086-1800-658 or you can call us on 1850-715-958. I remember back in the 1980s, uh, interviewing an amazing man in Dublin called Willie Birmingham. He set up an organisation called Alone uh, to basically, I suppose, give some help to very vulnerable uh, elderly people who perhaps uh, found themselves living alone, as the name says, and I'm glad to see they are still on the go. Uh, they've just launched their Christmas appeal, and to discuss it further, I'm joined by Sean Moynihan, who is the CEO of Alone. Uh, good morning, Sean. Good morning. Thanks for taking the call. You've launched your Christmas appeal. Now, are you appealing for ordinary members of the public to get in touch with you or are you appealing for older, vulnerable people to contact you so that you can help them? I, I think, it, as the saying goes, it's a little from column A and a little from column B there. You know, it's, I suppose, a Christmas campaign uh, which we launched on Friday is Make Your Minutes Count. And really what we're looking for, any older person who needs support around loneliness, health, transport, housing, please reach out to us. And then to the public to realise the amount of older people in our community, which is some of what we do is the challenges of success. People are living longer. And to others, maybe they may come forward and might want to volunteer in the new year. 
Well, now, something like one in ten people over 75 are lonely, and this is a, a very, if you like, lonely time of the year. Uh, do you think that as people get older, they just don't want to engage with organisations like yourself, and that we who, well, we who are lucky enough to have jobs and have family around us need to do more, if you like, to make sure that those who do live alone have some sort of, if you like, comfort, some sort of friends, some sort of network around them to ensure that uh, they're being looked after? I think what you say there is really good. I mean, what we do is create those networks around people. If you imagine 45% of the older people we work with are over 80, okay? And so that's a big journey in life and maybe people and friends and family, they've lost along the way, maybe retirement, you know what I mean? They're well past retirement, maybe the financial capacity they've had, bereavement, health issues. So, they're just ordinary people, but they're the events of life that goes on that leads people to a situation that they then need support. And so what we do is, is through staff, we sit down with the older people and we assess what they need to help them age at home or what they feel they need to age at home. And then we have volunteers who visit, phone services, practical supports, linking into social events, transport, you name it. We do it to try and make sure people can stay in our community and stay happy and well. Well, now, you've also launched your national phone line. Uh, tell us how that works. Yeah, well, for, for us, is, is we, we have offices around the country, and by, by running the phone line through one, one number, it'll allow us to be more efficient and be more mobile as well. So our, our, our national line that we're going to use going forward is 0818-222-024. And so ultimately, is, is whether it's older people or whether it's people who want to volunteer or donate or support us, that's the number they'll get us on. Well, now, the phone line, as I see, is a Monday to Friday 9 to 5 operation. I mean, has the time come to try and make it, if you like, a a 24-hour helpline? Well, for us, that's our contact line. We may move into a phone line at the moment, but what I'd say to you is, is our staff and volunteers work all year round. We'll be out on Christmas Day across this country bringing company, but also Christmas dinners to older people. So that phone works during the day, but the rest of us uh, and the the organisation works all year round. Maybe at some stage we will launch it very much into a helpline that is, is much more available to people. At the moment, it, it, that, that's what we're planning to do and we build and go for, forward from there. Uh, I remember interviewing uh, Willie Birmingham back in the 1980s and he took me for a little, if you like, walk around the north inner city in Dublin and the conditions mm. that some elderly people were living in mm. was, was absolutely appalling. I mean, with various social supports and so on, I mean, are things better in terms of housing, in terms of financial supports, or are they as bad as they were when Willie Birmingham himself, who I do believe was a fireman, was tempted yeah. to set up a loan? I think that the question to that is something, you know, there, there's certainly a huge amount of, of, of poor conditions out there. The third highest thing people come to us for is housing issues. We have huge problems with people, and this is happening all over the country now. Older people can never compete in high rent situations, and that's spread across the country. So ultimately, is, is they can end up in very poor housing conditions. And on the other thing is, is we have older people who maybe living in older houses can't afford to maintain them. So the second highest thing people come to us is, is for housing conditions, so that like, there's still an awful lot about that out. Loneliness is a huge emerging need. 
You know, people, it's a huge problem where people are left isolated because society has changed and there's huge health issues and pain and struggle that comes with that. Well, now, Alone has, at the outset, been very much a Dublin-based organisation, but uh, in what way do your tentacles stretch beyond the city? Well, where we where we are, we've <coughs> we 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 we've we've, an, we've an office in Loud, and we've around five staff up in the northeast, and are probably around three hundred volunteers. We've now gone where we live to the same values of probably our founder, which is around meeting the need, following following that, being being nimble, staff and volunteers. What we've now done is is we've nearly two thousand volunteers across the country, and then so we 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 we've people. Based in Mead, Westmead, Louth, Donegal, Leitrim, Longford, Dublin, Carlow, Kilkenny, Galway, and what we're trying to do then is, is cover cover off. We've huge increase in the number of older people, and that is success. But for that means that the number of people who fall through the cracks is also rising, and the number of people who are struggling is also rising. And so ultimately, is is we need to be there to respond and to bring the community in to support those people who need us. Are you happy with the support you're getting from the state? I think the the, the state is a little bit behind, I suppose, what the recession, like everybody knows we've an ageing demographic and we've got big changes that come with that. But what happened was with the recession, with all the other emergency things, is we lost the 10 years to have this conversation to implement. So there is a national positive ageing strategy, but it's never had any any, any funding. The, the rate of change is too slow because it's a bit like the hospitals and delayed discharges. And we're working in the A&Es and in the hospitals to get people home. Oh, oh, is, is the Sean, systems I just, I just, just don't move quick enough. Yeah, they I just want to stop you there. Just to wrap it up then, will you just remind us of the phone number if anybody wants to get in touch? Uh, 0818 Okay, we'll leave it there. That's uh, Sean Moynihan, the Chief Executive Officer of the Charity Alone. We'll take a break. Ken Murray on LMFM. As I say, if you want to get in touch, our text and WhatsApp number is 086-1800-658 or you can call us on 1850-715-958. Moving on now to North Louth and a planned new road through Dundalk's Listnadara housing estate on the Carrick-Macross Road has been met with opposition from local residents. A joint motion by Councillors Sean Kelly and Maria Doyle at last week's Dundalk Municipal District November meeting called on Louth County Council to consult with residents of the estate before work on the scheme continues. On Wednesday, our producer Marie Kearns visited List Nadara where residents spoke to her about their concerns. First, she spoke to Claire Fox and asked her to explain where the proposed road is going to run from. As far as I know, it's going to link the Carrick Road to Mount Avenue. And Mount Avenue, the plan then is to make it into a cul-de-sac. So it's essentially going to link the Carrick Road to the Castle Blaney Road, which are two very busy roads. So your worry is that all the people living on that road will then be using this link road to get to where they want to go? Yes, I could see definitely there'd be a lot of traffic and I'm worried about the volume of traffic, the speed, also the type of traffic. So not just cars, but I could see trucks and buses going through right through the middle of this estate as a main road. To access secondary schools, is it? Yes, there's two secondary schools on the Castle Blaney Road that would have a, a lot of students in them. How long are you living in the estate? We've lived here for three years. And were you aware of this uh, plan for the through road before you purchased the house? 
I certainly never, no, I never expected to be living in front of a main road linking the Carrick Road to the Castle Blaney Road. A lot of the people here uh, would have young children, so any time you're driving in here you see there's lots of young children around using the cycle lanes and the green areas and it's great to see them. Um, and uh, yeah, we're really, I'm very concerned. I have two young children, I'm very concerned about their safety. This three road's really going to cut some of the estate off from the rest of the estate so going to cut us off from the green areas the creche the pharmacy okay so there's going to be essentially a road down the middle then yeah essentially it's going to cut some of the estate off from the rest so where i live for instance there's going to be a main road between my house and the green area just across the road I, I, I'm just looking for a rethink by the council. You know, this planning goes back to 2007. An awful lot changes in 12 years. As far as I'm aware, other planning applications are only live for five years. So I would love to see the alternatives. Is there any way to not put a main road through a housing estate where there are lots of children? Is there another way to do it? Liam Fergus told me of his reaction when he first heard news of the new link road. Uh, I definitely was shocked. Um, I think uh, word got around and we, we got a letter in from the management company and then we started seeing the signs going up, the notices going up and it kind of began to dawn on us what was actually happening. Yeah, so it was quite a surprise. And how long have you been living here? We bought by less than three years ago. At that time when you bought, were you aware that planning permission had been given for a link road? Oh no, definitely not. Um, I suppose we just assumed that the estate was as is and uh, whilst you might get a few extra houses on some of the areas, um, that we didn't think that there was going to be wholesale changes and obviously this changes the, the whole structure of the estate now with a main road going through it. What's your fears about it? Mainly around my children. Um, I think that's probably most people would say the same um, because my boys now are, are three, uh, twin boys three and you know in, in two or three years time they're going to be making their own way around the estate um, and and uh, they'll start travelling across the main road to get onto the green area, the big green area there. Obviously, um, the safer the estate, the better for us. So that's the big concern, yeah. And it's very much, looking around the estate here, there's no walls, there's no fences. So it's very much open plan that you, you allow your children the access to outside. You're not kind of locking them in with, with gates. Yeah, that's absolutely it. And, and it's one of the attractions of the estate when we first came in, that there were so many kids here, even driving in on the viewings, loads of kids running around. Um, yeah, and just quite a safe environment. It just felt like a really happy, family, mature estate. And I, this is definitely going to change that. You know, it's, it's not what we signed up for, I suppose. Anyone who's in the estate now will be very familiar with um, the kids um, they'll be, they'll know what areas to slow down on and so on. But if, if you're coming in from the outside, if you're using this as a through road, then you don't know the makeup of the estate. Um, you're not thinking necessarily about the children. You're just thinking this is a normal road to drive through at whatever miles per hour. John Agnew, you are an original resident of the estate. Do you remember talk of the through road back in 2007? It, a lot of the residents at the time were quite astounded that uh, the council would actually proposed to put a road in a uh, densely populated uh, housing estate that was re- very new at the time and would, o- would also have a lot of young children in the houses. Uh, so I do remember it very clearly because it was a part of it, uh, application on behalf of the local authority which uh, effectively gave them planning permission but they were obliged to take submissions, complaints, uh, observations from the residents, which we which we did. We were concerned about the high volumes of traffic, especially knowing that two uh, secondary schools were based on 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 the Castle Blaney Road, plus all the traffic from the Castle Blaney Road itself. This was all 12 years ago. The entrance to the estate, which is the only entrance, the house uh, running alongside it, uh, part of their garden has been CPO'd, plus uh, open ground. Uh, 
and there isn't an awful lot of it in the estate that we've maintained for 12 years, it's also been uh, CPO'd and will be uh, taken away also. It will literally destroy the entrance to the estate because um, that is the one uh, uh, one of the green areas that uh, we've been maintaining and there's, I think, I believe six, six mature trees on it and a lot of shrubbery and, and that. So a strip of land there which actually uh, adds to the, the visual aspect of the estate when you're entering it and this will be gone. Um, the trees, the mature trees and the green area plus uh, a lot of very mature shrubs, they're, they're all going plus part of, uh, of that, uh, that uh, residence wall and part of his garden will also go. So the estate entrance uh, as, it, as it is will no longer be and it will look quite stark, not pleasant uh, for anyone wanting to come into the estate. What would you That's like to see happen now, John? There may be alternative routes that would that would put, put the road further up onto the Carrick Road through Greenfield land, but I am not too sure about that. That's something they would have to look into. But this happened in Monaghan. The exact same scenario happened in Monaghan, Monaghan Town, and the residents, with the aid of some local authority councillors, actually stopped it. So um, the council officials and the councillors need to talk to the residents very quickly before this gets up uh, ahead of steam and, and moves forward because we're all very concerned about it. Kevin Hines, who has been living in Lisnadara for 12 years, is concerned that it's data from a traffic count carried out as far back as 2007 that's been used in the planning for the new road. I knew there was going to be a road going through the estate, but not as big as it's going to be because at the time I was aware that there was going to be the Western Bypass so that this road, it would be more like a local for local traffic. But the idea that it'll be linking two sides of the town was definitely not in the cards at the time. We we're concerned about, the well, first of all, the volume of traffic and uh, the safety for people here, because when you look around, it's an open estate. There's no fences, there's no walls anywhere. You've got front gardens that are maybe two metres from the front garden to the main road. So very concerned. Moving forward, what would you like to see happen or what's next for the residents? Well, ideally, we'd like to see um, the Western Bypass started and that this road going through the estate won't happen until that bypass is built. That would be the ideal thing we'd like to see. And we'd also like to see a bit of consultation with the engineers and um, the developers because nobody in the estate has been con- consulted about it and like so that they could hear our concerns about the, the volume of traffic like if the road is to go ahead is there going to be any traffic calming measures we don't know we just don't know Do you have any idea how many cars or vehicles could be accessing the road every day? Honestly no we don't because the uh, all of the data was done or it was generated 12 years ago and um, like I can tell you like since I moved in here 12 years ago there's an awful lot more traffic um, I'm looking onto the main road and every day there's vans, trucks, cars going in and out of the estate. And that's just for people who live here. Yes. Like even we're just standing here now and there's cars going by every couple of minutes. Um, I work in Dublin and I'm leaving at six o'clock in the morning. And even at that time, but between me getting into my car and going out, I'd see two or three cars leaving the estate. So, you know, what's it going to be like when they open it up to the other end of the town? I understand that, you know, progress is needed and you, you can't stop things from happening but when you're basing it on 12 year old data that's that just can't that can't happen there you go our special thanks to the residents of Lisnadara housing estate on the Carrickmore cross road there in Dundalk who spoke to our producer Marie Curran's last week just a text in there did any of our glorious nation read the parable of the good lord chasing the money handlers from the temple it's worth reading says Fran 
I'll take your word on that. Still to come, I'll be talking to Councillor Mike Bray about the problem of dog fouling and the fines imposed in County Meath. Okay, we'll take a break. Ken Murray on LMFM. Now, if you are the sensitive type, this next item just may, just may put you off your tea and biscuits on this uh, chilly Monday morning. But uh, we all know that uh, dog fouling is a problem in all uh, urban areas, not only around the country, but indeed around the world. And uh, Councillor Mike Bray, who's one of the new faces on the New Look Meath County Council, is a Fianna Fáil councillor uh, in the north of the county. And he joins me on the line right now. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Ken, to you and your listeners. And I believe this is your first interview on LMFM. That's that's right. I've done a few pieces with Mark before for the news, but my first live interview on LMFM is right. Okay, well, you're expressing concerns about the lack of fines uh, for people who allow their pets uh, to foul footpaths and so on. What exactly is your concern? Well, um, at the November meeting of Mead County Council, I tabled the question just to get the figures and statistics on the fines issued and the fines that have been paid. And um, in, in County Mead, um, in 2018, only nine fines were issued and three of them were paid. Um, and to date, there's actually, in 2019, there's been four fines issued and two of those paid. So um, it is an issue that comes to me as a councillor since I've been elected in May. A few people have contacted me and um, on foot of that, I just wanted to delve into the figures a bit more on that. And I'm surprised I thought the figures would be higher. Um, to be honest, Ken, um, because, you know, we all unfortunately see it in estates, in parks, in um, on footpaths, in, in streets and villages. Um, so um, I, have, I have to put it to you, Mike, that uh, the, the problem with dog fouling, and of course everybody uh, doesn't like dog fouling, but yeah. the reality is that Meath County Council officials can't be standing on every street corner, whether it be in Kells or Trim or Oldcastle or Ashburn or Dulic or Slane, and that they're basically relying on ordinary members of the public, if you like, to report. Isn't that the problem? That absolutely is the issue. That there are only actually three uh, part-time dog wardens um, in County Mead, so it's a it's a huge geographical area to cover. So they do actually rely on w- witness statements for members of the public in order to um, in order to follow up with with the offenders who are letting their dogs um, foul in, in public areas. Um, but you know, if you compare it to other counties, for instance, Loud, uh, I got figures from the Department of uh, Rural and Community Development, which is available on the website, and in Loud in 2018 there was actually. 232 fine on the spot fines issued with 93 um fines paid from that so um need is on on the lower end of the scale in terms of uh, fine issue fines issue but the dog wardens that, that do work in the county um my experience with them has been very positive when I, we do contact them they they get out very quick to the area and do their best but their hands are are tied um in that um they're, they're they're quite restricted it's more, if people don't pay the fine, they have to go through the court system then, and that can be quite a long and lengthy process uh, for a €150 Euro fine, um, and then they rely on the member of the public to uh, testify in court on that as well. So obviously people can be reluctant to um, 
to go that far and, and, and take it to court. Sure, but can, can I put it to you, isn't, isn't the real problem that people who own pets and take their little cat or dog out for a walk, they just simply don't care about the mess that's left behind and that the likes of Meath County Council needs to engage in some sort of, a, if you like, a, a public information campaign to basically say to pet owners, look, if your cat or dog fouls a footpath, could you please clean up after you? I'm sure you'd agree with that. Absolutely, yeah, because people have to uh, have to realise that when they do this, it usually is in your own estate, in your nearby park. So you're, you're in fact damaging and making um, unhygienic your own environs. So it is a matter of, I think, and I spoke with officials about this, education of the general public is the best way um, to address this because the vast majority of um, dog owners do clean, uh, clean up after themselves and, and, and don't leave, leave a mess, but it's just the one or two in every year that do um, um, that, that cause the 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 cause the dog found areas that 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 are the problem. So um, so um. Well, let me put another scenario to you, uh, Mike. I mean, you were saying that there's only three dog wardens in County Meath. Has the time come for we'll say parking wardens to double up as dog wardens on the basis that there are more parking wardens than dog bark, uh, wardens and at the end of the day they all work for the council, they all work for the common yep. good and that if parking wardens for example were given these uh, additional powers this might go some of the way to prevent excessive dog fouling. Absolutely because parking wardens um, do carry out other duties um, as, as well in, 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 in the role of parking wardens in terms of um, taxation and cars and that kind of thing. So there is that, that could absolutely be a, be a possibility. But it's, it's very hard for the warden to actually. You have to catch the the the, the dog and and the, the owner in in the act. So it's it's the amount of evidence needed is, is quite um, is 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 quite substantial as well to take it that far. Most people do when they get the fine or get a knock on the door from the warden. That usually is enough to the, deter them from um, from committing the, the offence again. But um, but yeah, no. But we still do. I think I still think need to see an increase in fines and prosecutions in County Mead because it is. Um, while education is an important aspect of it, we do need to um, to, to find owners and, and convict them for this sense, which is, which is oh. uh, damaging to themselves and the okay. entire community as a whole. Okay, Mike, we're going to have to leave it there. We're going to leave that issue in your capable hands. You can become our dog fouling correspondent. We'll keep an eye and an ear on how that develops uh, in the coming uh, months and years. That's Councillor Mike Bray, one of the new faces on Meath County Council there, talking about the scourge of dog fouling uh, in our towns and villages uh, around the country. Now, uh, just to uh, wrap up the programme, you probably heard and saw on the news over the weekend that there was yet another ATM or attempted ATM theft. This time uh, Dunlear was struck and uh, we all thought this issue had gone away. There were a number of arrests uh, early on the year but uh, it seems uh, that ATM uh, thieves and criminals are still active uh, in the North East. Uh, Declan Brannock, uh, Fianna Fáil TD for Loud and East Meath, uh, you, you, you condemned the raid. Um, we were all led to believe that this uh, issue, if you like, was if you like under control, but clearly that is not the case. I mean, are the Gardaí telling you anything that perhaps you'd like to share with the public? Uh, the guards are not, but uh, again, good morning to your listeners and to yourself. Uh, uh, this uh, issue of ATM bank raids, believe it or not, is a worldwide phenomenon. Um, set the context uh, of that criminality. In 2017, there were 3,584 uh, amassing 31 million across 20 countries. 
In 2018, it has risen by 27% to 4,549 ATM robberies, netting these criminals 46 million. So uh, criminality moves in swathes from various forms of illegality, and this is just one of them. Uh, I'd like to say in relation to the Dunmere uh, incident that uh, I want to condemn it, as you've said already, uh, and it's great to see the bank open today. But these criminals have no respect for man or law. I mean, they left businesses uh, totally lost on a Saturday of revenue uh, and badly impacting on their Saturday business. I mean, not alone that, there's the danger that small towns and villages will lose these machines because the banks uh, can't continue uh, time out a number replacing their buildings and the machines, and it's inevitable that they will have to take stock of that. But more importantly is the issue here that these individuals are sticking their two fingers up at the Garda Shikana and the forces of law and order. This region, you know, if you go from Cavan, Kells, Virginia, Castlebany, they've all had similar incidents. Indeed, back uh, earlier uh, last year in Carlingford, was an attempted one. Uh, this morning we have had two, uh, or sorry, one in Balnehinch and County Down, and indeed over the weekend in Belfast, indeed in Belfast City Hospital, there was an attempt uh, to take one, and in, indeed in another business park in Belfast. So these criminals respect nobody. The decent yeah, but, uh, people could, of this region are being impacted. Okay, can I cut across you there? I mean, in this day and age of extraordinary technology, um, are you not disappointed or uh, amazed that the banks haven't done more, we'll say, to, if you like, put tracking devices inside ATM so that if one is moved, the Gardaí can track where it is, or to put this uh, uh, release of dye paint on money so that the money can't be used and that there's not enough CCTV. Surely in this day and age, the banks, uh, who are very quick to chase us when we owe them money, but when they're losing our money to criminals, don't seem to be doing enough themselves, if you like, to uh, discourage people from uh, stealing ATMs uh, by a applying the appropriate technology. Uh, yes, I agree with you completely, but I do understand that they are advancing this technology and uh, indeed the tracking devices are being installed and obviously uh, the criminals are always another step ahead for one reason or another. I mean, if you if you look at uh, the various forms of criminality that occur in this region, I mean, take for example the cigarette manufacturing uh, uh, process, they're actually now importing the machinery made in China to produce the stuff. Uh, people said these laundering had gone away. It hasn't. Twelve cubes were discovered along the border uh, in the last month, costing the kind of council in excess of 100,000 euros. They have moved to distilling. That is boiling the diesel to remove uh, the, the, the tracker uh, from it. You know, we, we've seen the instance of drugs right across our region. Criminals move, as I said at the outset, into phases, and it's all about money and how much money they can extract from communities, and they don't care about anybody. And this has been done by a small number of coordinated criminal gangs who are networking, believe it or not, across paramilitary organisations. And that's where we've got to get to grips with us along particularly on the border region, before it starts to impact on, on people's view and people's investment in the region. And uh, 
recently we've talked about a task force. I'm going to have to stop you there, Declan, yeah. Just wrap it up uh, very quickly. The need for a task force along the border is on a statutory basis because these people are using the border uh, and that was evidence in where the the machine was stolen from that did the ATM robbery uh, in Dunley or the weekend. All that uh, emanating from border activity and lawlessness. Okay, uh, Declan Brannock, we're going to have to leave there. The clock is against us. Thanks very much indeed uh, for coming on to discuss that ATM raid in Dunlear and something tells me there will be more. Anyway, we're going to have to leave it there. I want to thank uh, Maggie McGuire and producer Marie Cairns who put the programme together. Chris Murray was on sound. I'm Ken Murray. I'll be back again at 9.15 tomorrow morning. And Sinead Brazel is next. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.